I don't know if you call it like blank page syndrome or button seat syndrome or something like that, but it's so easy not to be butt in seat working on the thing. And there are so many people who are like, oh, I'm an artist, I'm an animator, I work in this, I work in that. And it's like, well, when was the last time you did that thing? And they're like, oh, well, I've been busy for the last week or so. Um, so I haven't really, you know, it's like they define themselves by the thing. They're frustrated they're not getting better. But when you look at the amount of time they actually spend butt on seat, hands on tools, it's almost like they don't do that thing at all. Good.cg podcast. My name is Jaden and this is Chris. Hi. This is the podcast where two CG artists document their journey of getting good. Along the way, we're going to be sharing some of our tips and tricks and whatever else so that you can learn from our mistakes and maybe try out some of the things we try. Today, we're going to be talking about how to get in action and how to stay in action. Yeah. Oh, we had a couple of different ways of talking about this concept. I think that's what makes it a pretty good conversation starter because we don't really know how to phrase it the way we're thinking of it between the two of us in a way that's like that sort of snappy clickbaity youtube title you know yeah, yeah. it's a bit I'll more see. nuanced than that yeah well so the, the yeah the, the topic that we were looking at when chris sent these to me he had how to get in action stay in action or product slash deliverables over project and you know, obviously the first one for me was just like, oh yeah, I get what you're saying there. But the second one, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, I, I actually aligned with the first one a bit more as well, but it doesn't really describe it because in talking about it, we realized that what we're actually looking at is the two different types of motivation in a project. There's mm. your personal motivation in the abstract of the final product, which is, you are in action moving towards this meta goal that's, you know, get good, be a good animator, be a good ephemeral texture artist. Yeah. yeah. But then there's this deliverable goal that's the thing that sort of got you by the nose that even when it ceases to be useful to you and ceases to be the shiny thing, takes you through and makes you plant the landing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like that that deadline that thing that you have to have and be able to show for it's that um it's the responsibility of having to do the thing whereas as you know we were talking about some previous podcasts if you don't have that responsibility to do something it's easy for scope creep to get you which we were talking about in our last podcast and this really applies to projects you've given yourself when you're trying to practice because if you have a deadline from a client, that's that motivation. It's, I don't want to have a bad relationship with this client. I want to do the job well, get paid, move on. That's mostly enough to bring you through to the final part of the project. But we were talking off mic um, just before the introduction there. And I was saying that in my personal work, I always find that even if I give myself a client, like I imagine myself as a client and give myself a deliverable and a time frame. Because to my core, I understand that it's not actually real. 
it ceases to become as strong a motivation. And once I've gotten everything from that process out of that process that personally I feel like I'm going to get, that's when the shiny wears off. And I actually think it's kind of a good thing because it's like, you know, then that you've learned everything you're going to learn and then you can apply it to the next thing. You can iterate fast. Like what we were talking about on the, uh, the scope creep podcast, you can iterate Mm. faster and apply what you've learned quicker but what you don't end up with is a good final polished result. And for me, product versus project is a way of differentiating the two. Right. Yeah, I see. You've got to have, you've got to have that thing. You've got to have that motivation to keep you going because. I think, I think it is different. I think it is different for everybody. I think it's different motivations, but you do have to have that thing. For me, it is outside accountability. Like that comes down to that client thing. If I don't have that outside accountability, I don't tend to have that drive to bring it through. And even if I create systems around myself to hold myself in those projects, it's just a bad experience for me because eventually your brain just starts screaming at you. Just no, yeah, it's like, wh- wh- why are you holding our feet to this fire that you lit? I don't understand. <laughs> Your brain's just going, wow, please, could you not? So we, we were talking just before about the four-day um, deliverable, uh, four-day deliverables, right? Yeah, just- well, the, we went over in the previous podcast that if you iterate quicker, you're able to control that scope creep a little bit more. And all of these things that come along with the shiny wearing off just don't apply to those because you're forcing yourself into an, a finished state without polish. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a little bit... It's, it's got those pros and cons of uh, you get to learn things and iterate on them quicker, but it's like nothing you have is ready to just put out there in the world. But the benefit of that is you've got like all these things and you can kind of just pick the one that you want to, uh, you know, scrub up a little bit, mm. but you, so, so you've done, or you've, you're coming towards the end of your first four days. <laughs> yeah. It's technically, How'd that go a, for you? yeah, technically a few more than that, but I don't really get to do a lot of CG over the weekend because, yeah, uh, fair enough. I mean, four, four days total. Yeah. of working on it and i mentioned in the last one that i was doing a freestyle swimming stroke animation loop yeah you sent me a picture of the character face down in water um <laughs> i assume point. that was your uh <laughs> that your head, that was your head state at the moment things were not going well but uh it turned around in the end i swear uh though i have to admit for the animation nerds out there freestyle swimming has a lot going on. Like it is, I don't know if that was my best choice for a first, you know, toe in the water, pun intended. Yeah, look, I I think for my first one, I didn't, I was a bit too rusty with painting rock and I tried to paint rock slash stone. And uh, yeah, I was kind of, you know, face down the water drowning as well. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully you pick something that's a little bit more in the realms of what you uh, better understand. Maybe you could do like, um, twirling a sausage around your fingers the the thing is that i i leave it up to the dice yeah i saw that uh valorant gif you sent of the guy with the switchblade except it was a except it was a hot dog 
Uh, but yeah, no, I, I leave the selection up to the dice. Like it's, it's better that way. Cause that way I don't shy away from hard stuff, but I also don't resist going back to the fundamentals. I, I kind of like it that way. Well, I mean, it really depends on what you want to get out of it. If you want to learn to do really challenging stuff like that, or if you want to learn more pipeline, then maybe if, if you want to learn pipeline, then maybe it's easy to go for something you're a little more familiar with temporarily. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, it's all about building visual language. Like again, um, as far as process versus project goes, it, it's more about process and end goal uh, because if you're going through and your intention is to fill your visual library of things that you sort of know about and that you can sort of get, you know, 60% of the way there out of how it feels and your knowledge of momentum and anatomy and that sort of thing, and then use reference to sort of really push it that extra few percent into a more um, like solid grounded animation, it is good to have that variety which I think sometimes, even if I think that I'm getting enough of that variety, it's always variety within what I would pick, which means that it's probably a bit more comfortable. So I, I like le leaving it up to the, the dice a little bit. Um, but I guess, yeah, that comes down to your preference and process. <laughs> yeah, right. Fair enough. So what motivated you to stay in action uh, over however many days it's been? Uh, mainly what motivated me this time around was that I had already put aside the time that I was going to work on it. So even though I, I was willing to push it out another day or something, if I didn't get the amount of time on tools that I needed, I sort of, uh, did a very rough, uh, sectioning of time where I knew I'd be working on that. I knew exactly what I'd be working on in that time. So it removed a lot of frictional barriers to just keep moving through the project. It's really funny though, because if, if the end result, like with the showreel project that I was doing, the end result was something pretty, but with these exercises, the end result is finished animation. And so instead of the bones of a very good animation that never gets finished, you end up with a finished animation that's completely kind of balked, but you learned a lot from it. You learn from it. And so the next time you can apply what you've learned and it gets less balked every yeah. single time. And that's, mm. that's the other thing that keeps me in action is that knowing that I'm learning something, I do mm. find that if there's something to learn or some knowledge to gain or a skill to acquire, that's that, that really takes me through from beginning to end a lot easier than something a bit more intangible, like, I will be good or I will have done this thing, you know? It's much easier when there's also a light at the end of the tunnel and that light <laughs> at the end of the tunnel is a few days away. Yeah. And if you're really feeling burnt, you can just go, look, on that day Toss after, I'm just going to, I'm just going to curl up on the couch, watch anime, be a gigantic weeb for 24 hours and then I'll get back to it. Yeah, I, su I suppose. I mean... I've got probably some sort of non-neurotypical hyper-focus thing that happens where if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. But yeah, yeah, and that can, that can sometimes get in the way of keeping in motion because then if I don't have the enormous block of time that that would require, uh, mm. it's difficult for me to conceptualize just chipping away at it. That's something that's really, it's something that I really struggle with, but I know it's good advice that I've received is that 
the people who get the most workout and the people who get to proficiency quicker are the people who just sort of sit down, chip away at it, go have lunch, you know, come back, do a little bit, go, you know, like that they are mm-hmm. capable of sitting down, remembering where they were, doing the next thing, getting distracted and coming back later. Whereas for me, it takes me so long to get into the zone of like both remembering where I was, remembering where I was going, getting into a flow state with the work and feeling like I've actually got <laughs> like a chunky, a chunky amount of the work out of the way. And if I can't do that, then sometimes it gets put in the too hard basket and I go move on to something else. Dude, when I was working in architecture, I, every single morning, I'd walk into work, sit down, turn on my computer, you know, look at the drawings that I had sitting on my desk and look at the drawings I had in CAD. And every day it was like half an hour of just puzzling together what the hell I was doing the previous day. And like all of your, all of your undo history is gone as well. So you can't like just check what the last thing you did was. Yeah, well, well, unless I felt like leaving my computer on, but (laughs) probably not the best thing to do. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. I I think that is where my ability to improve comes from is because perfectionism is not a gift, it is a curse. You know, like being a perfectionist is not something to be proud of. And so coming from a place of high perfectionism my area for growth is being able to break that down into, you know, that the old saying done is better than good. (laughs) But then also being able to break that down into, it's not just worse work, it's work broken up over less ideal times. Yeah. I think it's better to be more perfectionistic if, and this is going back a couple of podcasts. Yeah. If you have, Climbed and fallen over the other side of Mount Stupid, survived <laughs> Valley of Despair, and have climbed up whatever that last mountain is, like the point where you are some wise, humble person. That's at the point where you can start to be a bit more of a perfectionist about things, but even then you probably have your limits. Yeah, like, if anybody ever actually gets there, because I feel, I have a suspicion that at the top of that uh, humble slog up to that second peak... I think there's probably a point there where you your mindset reverts you back down to the bottom. It's just a little bit higher above sea level than it was last time. Like, the slope is still the same, but you're just a bit higher, you know? Yeah, probably. I mean, that's why that's why some people, they'll, they'll get some power and then, you know, that power's not enough and they'll want more power, you know, <laughs> getting real. I don't know. I, th- I think, there. like you say, I think... It's usually the humble people who actually get closest to that summit. Anybody who thinks they know what they're talking about probably doesn't. Wow, you really sound like you know what you're talking about then. Yeah, I'm a very wise and intelligent person with advice (laughs) for everybody. Actually, this advice should be applied without any thought to your own individual circumstances because it's universally applicable. My name is Chris. Everyone listen to me. I am the wise but no, seriously, because that's, that's probably advice you may to listen ref- to. You may refer to me as the Great Kaboo. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So, are you, so you think you're going to keep going with these uh, four-day challenges? I will at least keep doing it now. 
Yeah. Because, because it's animation, the one thing that came up for me while I was doing it was that there will be sort of like a, a pipeline limitation where the quality like, will only be improved by more time. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, this is the pipeline. And then once you get to the point where you go, well, I guess this is pipeline. That's the point where you start focusing on <clears throat> more specific things, you know? Mm. And, and so that's kind of, that's what's happened with me recently. I, I did about four, and I, yeah, uh, yeah, three or four projects. And it got to the point where I'm like, okay, this pipeline thing's going all right. But I'm noticing what is now a larger issue because the pipeline issue is less of a problem than other issues that since I want to be a hand-painted, stylized artist, is that, oh, yeah, it's it's been years since I've done this properly and I haven't really sat down to refresh my uh, hand-painted skills and damn, it is lacking. And so I've just been really focusing on, on specific textures and so at the moment, I've just been doing about three or four days of just wood. Mm. And my brain is full of wood. I've been posting about it on Twitter, so you can just go have a look. Wood. Uh, on, wood. Yeah, on Twitter. And like, I've definitely made improvements, but damn, focusing on that level of niche for something for three days, just painting a tileable wood texture for three days. Yeah. Like, it's not the same texture. I've, I will do like you know, one, and then the same day I'll do, like, another one, and then, you know, I'll do that and for at three that or four point, days. And really at that come, point, it comes down to style and artistic choices, which means that there's not going to be any defined end point. There's nothing that, and like, signals to you, okay, we're done now. And that's that's project, right? Because your project is to get better at painting wood textures currently. But you could yeah. be doing you could be doing that ad nauseum, from now until the end of your life and <laughs> still be seeing some micrometer of improvement in the way that you do that. Whereas well, yeah. the product of your three day, you know, uh, pr- prop generation uh, process that you're doing, that, that actually has an output. That is something that you can sort of look at and say, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. I've, I've done a few props and I did one of them, which was kind of like a, you can see it on Twitter. It's not finished, but it's close to, and it's just like a stylized, um, a stylized sort of fantasy beer mug or Stein Mm. type thing. And I got some pretty good response from that on Twitter and I got some good responses on discord and I was in, I think it was hand-painted Guild Discord, and I actually got some really good feedback on how to improve it. And so I kind of thought, look, I've been spending days painting wood, so (laughs) maybe I should put what I've learnt on wood to practice and fix the wood issues, because the feedback that I got was, the metal looks good, just a little bit more with the metal, but the relighting needs to happen. Sorry? Feedback and accountability, because if you're just running that cycle of trying to improve through a process and a project you're not you're not setting something out that you're like that you know that that whole artist thing where they post something on social media and they're like oh you know just spent my lunch break doing this like full 3d character in zbrush with hand-painted textures and yada yada and you're like yeah yeah okay over your lunch break i believe you yeah (laughs) (laughs) but 
what they're doing is that they're, they're turning it into a project rather than a product. They're not presenting it as this is what I did with what I had available. Take it as it is. They're saying, oh, don't judge this too harshly because it's not finished. This is not the product. And if you've yeah. got if you've got in your head this is the product and you take that to your, you know, the Discord servers and Twitter and all that sort of stuff, once that's up there and you say, what's and all, this is what I accomplished with the limitations that I had and then say, I am open to feedback. You can take that feedback more gracefully because mm. at the end of the if day, you ask you the feedback, you people are more likely to interact. Yeah. And it's like, it, it does make people more likely to interact, but it's also like, you don't take that feedback so personally because you don't feel the need to be like, oh, you know, it's not finished or, oh, I only had 20 minutes or, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I think that's really the great thing about the, you know, three dailies for me or the four dailies for you, where you can pump something out and then you've got a handful of them there and you can sort of see, okay, I like this one, I like this one. I might go with this one. I'll post this one on social media and Discord, whatever, get some feedback on it. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. That's, that's really important because you can make the choice to be like, this is the product. I'm not going to share that because I know it could be better and I don't need people, you know, pointing that out. <laughs> yeah and so if you if you can share that thing where it's kind of towards the end it's something that's like it's not finished it's almost at the polished stage and it's the point where it's like this is when you get feedback that's a really good point to share and then once you've shared it you've got all this feedback from people and that's a bit of motivation to uh yeah. stay in action and actually finish that a couple of quick wins just interspersed the, the problem that i find though is that if you do have something that is a longer project where the product will sort of be defined by the process itself, whereas you've got a kind of vague idea of what you want it to look like in the end, but until the process is sort of in process, you don't really know exactly what the limitations of that are going to be. Yeah. That's when you sort of get a bit lost and a bit muddy because you're not saying I have four days and pumping out an animation and it'll be about this or hand-painted texture or what have you. You're saying, mm. I have an idea for something that I think will be pretty cool. Um, I've buttoned it down as much as I can, but there are so many unknowns in that process at that point. Mm. I think, for me, what keeps you in action on those longer pro projects, once you actually get there, is having a, an idea of what the product is at the end. Because if you don't sort of have a visualization of what you want that to be, you're not making choices within the context of what will get you there and if you're not making choices inside the context of what will get you there you're just making choices and then you have to back up a lot more and you get very like confused and depressed <laughs> yeah yeah you just i get that a lot where if you don't have that really clearly defined you kind of just you're just in like that money middle where you're just in this whirlpool of just going back and forth, like, oh, over here, over there, I've made this decision and that decision undoes 30 other decisions. Yeah. It's just so much clearer. The way I yeah. think about it, the way I think about it is actually zooming in and out on the graph editor. It, I'm going to abstract this a little bit because I know that's not a universal experience. Um, but there's, there was a Photoshop technique for painting when the tools weren't as good where you'd start on the thumbnail at a particular pixel resolution and then you'd slowly bring the canvas size up and up and up and up and fill in the detail as more pixels became available. 
Right. It's sort okay. of like that. It's like fractal rather than add- additive. Yeah. You're not adding it onto the end. You're just zooming out and then filling in detail as a level of detail becomes available. Yeah, well, that's what I've been doing in my wood painting is I will zoom out because I have this really bad habit of being super zoomed in, even when I'm putting in big sort of shapes where I don't, where I shouldn't be zoomed in. Yeah. So I've been making a conscious effort to zoom out on these sorts of things and then making and that, these larger gestural decisions and then slowly getting a bit closer. Yeah. And the, the restrictions of those detail levels, for instance, like if you were working on like 512 by 512 pixels, each of those pixels is more important. And so if you're defining, you know, larger groups of shapes, you need to be pretty pixel perfect on that, but you're still at a 512 by 512. So there's, there's a certain level of detail that you can get to before it becomes unavailable and then Mm. once you've made that the best you can do at that size you know turning it into 1024 by 1024 gives you twice as much detail now but you've got the basis of what you started on yeah and and i think that's how i see keeping moving in a towards a product rather than in a project because i think a project you initiate and move forward within it and it's like a road and you're making decisions left or right you know I think yeah, right. if you've got a product at the end, it's it sort of slowly phases in from, you know, like when you have the Gaussian blur slider right up and it's all washed out mm. and you yep. bring it down slowly and the picture just sort of slowly just forms into view. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you've got the final thing when you, there's at zero. Yeah. That's sort of how I feel. I need to make projects in order to make progress. Yeah, right. You gotta bring that Gaussian blur down just slowly. Mental and it comes blur. In focus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something I found with this whole exercise thing that we've been doing mm. lately through doing the pipeline is uh, removing friction, identifying friction in your pipeline, and making sure that you remove it and that you're not kind of tying your hand behind your back for whatever sake, right? Right. Is that, so, a, is that a knowledge-based thing or is that like a, you know, a, a procedural this goof? Was like, is me... there a difference between not knowing what's happening there and defining that? Or is it like you've made a bad decision and you've just been sort of working around it? This was me biting a bullet. Uh, so on the first couple of ones, I was first two or three. I'm doing my textures in Photoshop and uh, that means if I want to do any 3D painting, then I have to do it in Blender on like a new, I have to get like a a node and then, Mm. you know, do the paintings and export it and put it into Photoshop and then, you know, just keep doing that or I have to use Blender's convoluted sort of node setup to do texture painting, which is just like, I would rather just jump off my balcony right now <laughs> but i've i bit Good the old bullet blender. I, I bit the bullet i bought 3d coat textura yeah which i know you've been you're pushing me to do it and i finally just did it and it's just one of those things where there's no greater feeling than having cons- consistent access to your tool of choice and knowing it's there when you need it rather than having to make that decision in the moment 
Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just like it's a much more. There's things I don't like about it, like the the navigation is the main thing that irks me, but <clears throat> it's it. No, that's just something I'll I'll deal with eventually. But it's something where the interaction between painting and 3d and photoshop that link is just so buttery smooth mm. and seamless and works every single time and it's just like oh you've got your layers in 3d coat and you've got your layers in uh photoshop they're exactly the same they work the same except you know 3d coat doesn't have masks <clears throat> 3d coat um but 3d coat doesn't have masks well at least in layer painting i, I assume it does oh. for a procedural um are you but, sure uh, yeah yeah no it doesn't that's crazy yeah i know are you sure so, it's not one of the things they maybe stripped out for the the textura version no no even even my teacher from cgma was like yeah no i i use masks in photoshop but i have to apply them before i go back into uh 3d coat because 3d coat doesn't support photoshop's masking ah that's loony pants which is <laughs> a big pain in the butt but besides that and besides some like navigational things in 3d code it's just such a nice seamless yeah transition or change or upgrade i don't know how how i put it but it's, it's just it's... So, something that works you know like i was sick what i was really sick of with blender is being like okay so is it best to just paint everything in photoshop and then kind of just like you know, draw a line, save it. Is that, how's that seem looking? No, not good enough. Control Z. Or do I like, you know, import the PSD and then do I mix a new node over the top? And I paint on that new load node over the top and then I export that out. Mm. And then I place that into Photoshop. And then when I place it into Photoshop, do I place it as linked or do I place it as embedded? What's the best way to go there? But in 3D code, it's like, nah, man. It just it's the same it's the same file <laughs> same file working across two programs and it's just, i mean it's <sighs> if you abstract it a little bit I, th I think it's it is friction reduction but i think it has more to do with trusting the tool here's here's a bit of like a lateral example that's sort of is just how my brain works we were mountain biking the other day um with masks on obviously um <laughs> but we were coming down this big hill um, and and so we decided to end up going around it. And then I realized that even I, somebody who has done a bit of mountain biking, was not comfortable going down this very easy incline because, and here's the kicker, the tool that I was using was a Kmart bike that we bought here when we moved here because I had to leave my actual mountain bike back where I moved from. Right. And so I didn't trust the tool to take me down that hill safely and that was an interesting re revelation for me because it, it really it really forced home the idea that if you don't if you're not confident with what you're using to get that product to get that result Once you do try to hedge you do try to come up with ways around it and you do try to figure out ways to do it that don't put you in danger of the tool failing and it being catastrophic yeah and in, in a lot of instances it's um don't use that tool yeah yeah and find finding the tools that you can trust to do a thing i think that's important because 
for instance, like uh, people do things in ZBrush that I think is crazy. Like they, they'll use the posing tools and they'll work around the edges of all this stuff just to get a different result that in Maya, if you knew what you were doing, you could do in half the time, right? And it would be less destructive and there's a workflow there that I think is better. The thing yeah. is that these people, if they're doing that, they don't trust their skills in Maya. They don't trust Maya to get that result. They are ZBrush fluent. So they know how to get there, even if it's a little bit fiddly. They stay in motion and they get the result that they want and they know that what they'll end up with is good enough for them without having to go and learning another having to go and learn another tool. And so they trust yeah. ZBrush to get them there. And it would take them a lot longer to get confident in May. And I think I think tool friction is one of these big things that keeps you in motion in a project. And yeah. it's one of those things that comes with experience, right? You have to have used it enough to trust it. Yeah, yeah. Some people just, you know, they'll use Blender for 32 years or ZBrush, whatever it is. And they just get, you get so comfortable in your little software ecosystem that it's just hard to move on. It's hard to move on. And that's, that's how I always thought about it. I said, you know what, they are limiting themselves because it could be so much easier if they spent a weekend to learn this. Yeah. But as I'm going through this process, I'm realizing that those are the people who are always going to be ahead of you just in like art creation and career wise, because they accept where they're at and know what they're working on. It's not worthwhile to them to move on to these other tools just because they're available. Yeah. That's how I feel with um, geometry nodes. Yeah. I, I think geometry nodes are really cool and I can't wait to see what people do with it, but it's like, eh, I know we, we talked about this, like, I think the last one or two podcasts, but I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's cool, but it's, I don't have any, like, use for it specifically. Maybe yeah. I do, but, you know, I'm just kind of accepting that I've got a goal and I don't want that goal to get pushed back with me going, ooh, I'm going to do Andrew Price's geometry node. And that's uh, the, the, the new and shiny, right? Yeah. That's uh, Punch your Andrew Price card for the episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, or there's Arendale who does some pretty, pretty cool stuff as well. He's got like crazy amount of content on just generally Blender nodes, but also, uh, yeah, geometry nodes as well. Uh, yeah, they are very far ahead in that sort of field. Speaking um, of um, sort of uh, Blender influences, just to circle back to Mr. Price for a moment, he put up a podcast earlier last week talking about it he was answering a couple of different questions i don't usually listen to his stuff but this sort of just came up in my feed and had it on in the background while i was uh, doing the dishes and something that he brought up was kind of interesting and i think it applies to this topic where it's like in motion you will always get more done and it's crazy how easy it is to want to be the thing but not be doing the thing yeah like I don't know if you call it like blank page syndrome or button seat syndrome or something like that, but it's so easy not to be butt in seat working on the thing. And there are so many people who are like, oh, I'm an artist. I'm an animator. I work in this. I work in that. And it's like, well, when was the last time you did that thing? And they're like, oh, well, I've been busy for the last week or so. Um, so I haven't really, you know, it's like they define themselves by the thing. They're frustrated. They're not getting better. 
But when you look at the amount of time they actually spend butt on seat, hands on tools, it's almost like they don't do that thing at all. Oh, yeah, I know a lot of people like that. And some are in, some are in the CG art space. And, you know, I've been guilty of doing this as well. It's like, yeah. I'm, oh, I've I'm, been there I'm as well. Like, it's, it's yeah. not like a thing that defines you as a character, <laughs> actually, right? It's like, it's, actually, it's, a, it's a mode you can get into very easily. Yeah. And when we were studying together, there was, um, there was the art course and then there was the programming course. Hmm. And every single person that was like in our class, was like, yeah, I'm an artist. It's, it, we're like, this is the first day of our class. I've never touched this software before, but I'm an artist. Yeah. Whereas the <laughs> programmers was, were uh, just like, oh yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here to learn programming. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I always found that kind of funny uh, and I was also guilty of that, but... We it, it's because that. there's no definite answer and it's very ephemeral. So if you feel arty, you're an artist. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's it. Um but any, but yeah, uh, the, that that's that reminds me of um, a speech that Andrew Price did uh, years ago. I think it was, I think it was at the Blender conference, and I, I mean, I'm, I think yeah, it was about say, say what you will, he's consistent. <laughs> yeah, it was about productivity or something like that, and he talks about how people get things done and how people be productive, and I think. One of them, he was talking about J.K. Rowling, um, which is somewhat controversial now, but Mm. um, the way she wrote Harry Potter was, even though she was a single mum with, I think, like two kids or something, Mm -hmm. she she wrote that by taking any amount of time she had in the day. If she only had five minutes while the kids were doing whatever to write something down for Harry Potter, she'd do that. It was just this constant attempts to stay in motion it's hmm. here's an opportunity to put myself in motion let's do yeah. it yeah yeah no, and that's uh, how the... she wrote most of the first uh one or two harry potter books here, here in melbourne there's uh, they've converted one of the old jails into what they call writer's cells and you can hire them out <laughs> on an hourly basis and you can go there as a writer with your laptop there's no i think there's no internet but there is power and you just go in there and you lock yourself in an old jail cell and the idea is that you're like locked off from distractions and you just sit down and write. And because that is you're the most in... Melbourne thing ever. Because <laughs> you're in that setting. Like they, uh, I think they preference like crime writers and stuff like that because they want it to be thematic. Uh, um, do you have to prove that you're a writer? Can we just rock up there as artists and sit in an old jail cell? Yeah, it was, it was on the Creative Spaces website. So I'm pretty sure anybody could just like roll in there and say... Yes, I'm working on a book for uh, CG animation, so I need to do a bit of research. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to... And then, you know, you, you pull out your Wacom tablet and start painting <laughs> It's <away>. really in-depth research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really in-depth. I've really got to practice myself with the CG artist that is trapped in the prison of CG art, you know. Or maybe you could say, oh, yes, I'm just... Um, I, I prefer to uh, handwrite it, but I don't want to write it in a book. I want to write it... Um, yeah that's what's so funny about that creative spaces website it's like at at one stage you'll have you know writer cells and it's all about like getting into the vibe and you know really experiencing it from a first person perspective and then the next one's like got room might be soundproof 200 dollars a week (laughs) wait so so writers actually need that where what they they just need a writer space to get all that work done 
it's it's about sitting down, getting the button in the chair, and then just bang, bang your head away at it until it's done. Yeah. Because um... there's a lot of procrastination. Like, I know that firsthand. Like, just the friction to just sit in the seat and do the thing once you understand it. Like, that's the thing. The way I approach CG tends to be more of that sort of model. Because, like, a writer... If he's not a pantser, which is what they call the people who just like sit down and write, which they'll have to do that anyway, because they'll have to be button C. But if they do an outline, if they're an outliner, they know sort of like what the story is and where it's going before they sit down to type it out. And so when they sit down to type it out, it's pretty much all those creative decisions and questions have been answered. They just need to get it done. And a lot of the time, that's where you fall down. And that's sort of how I approach CG projects. And that's exactly where I tend to fall down as well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's where everyone falls down. You get this grand idea in your head or this outline or whatever, then you sit, sit down to do the thing and then you expect to sit down and execute the six hours straight and then next minute you're half an hour through and you're like, oh, yeah. well, I deleted the default cube. <laughs> uh, and then ro- rotate it around in 3D space for 30 minutes. The- yeah, so I reckon, look, you know, it's, uh, it's a start. It's um, definitely a way to go. Um, you, you know what? I think I've deserved a break. Um, I think I might go play some video games now with all this yeah. hard work. It was I mean, I've really been working difficult. really hard. I, I, I showed up and at the end of the day, isn't that what matters? I showed up. I deleted the cube. I rotated <laughs> around. I put in yes. another cube. Did you ever see that animation that was going around where somebody like screen kept deleting the default cube and then it cuts away and there's like a there's like a portal that opens and it dumps it into this liminal space <laughs> where all the default yeah. cubes go and you delete them? Yeah, I saw that. Um, That's funny. I, um, I when I started using Blender, I didn't get the meme, but I went on CG Cookie and I I did I think it was like an ArcViz or like an interior um, tutorial or something like that and. Yeah. At the start of the tutorial, the instructor was like, okay, cool. So here's the default cube. Yep, just delete that. They said it in a straight face, no, well, I assume straight face, and no joking in their voice. Yep, delete. Okay, cool. Now insert a plane. All right, go into edit mode and extrude the plane up by two minutes. Into a cube. Yeah. And it wasn't until like... As is tradition. (laughs) It wasn't until like years later, I was like, hold on. I Hang see what you did moment. there. Um, but circling back around to the the topic, it, something that a book that I've brought up a lot on this podcast, I think already because I just quote it a lot. Like this is this isn't podcast. This is just me in general. If anybody brings this stuff up to me, um, Deep Work by Cal Newport. He has three ways that you get work done. You've got the people who need that big block of time where they cut themselves off from everything and then they sit down and they do it and they do it till it's done. You've got the scheduled time people who have to like schedule smaller blocks of time here and there and sort of stay accountable to that. And then the third one, which he associated with himself as well as a lot of other sort of motivational writers is that you just clip minutes here and there, like between saying, Oh, I'm just going to the bathroom and coming back to the party. You sit down and write a paragraph. Yeah. Right. So you just go to the bathroom Oh, I've got a quick minute on my phone. Yeah, write it out you know, in the toilet. You're 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 running out to the you're running out to the sports ball game that you always go to on a Friday. 
but your you know wife has to change her dress, so you've got you know thirty to two hours to get something down, that sort of thing. Yeah, right. So like any window of opportunity you have, do the thing you have to do. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so it's. I think I think that, like I said at the beginning, I think that's where I'm headed in my thinking about keeping in motion. It's the ability to start up quicker because I think it was 20 minutes that I read was the time it takes the human brain to get focused. And I think that's what's happening. I think when I sit down for a big lot of work, an hour or more, it's taking me that 20 minutes to get into focus. And then because of that 20 minutes where I'm trying to get into focus, that's a lot of time to have thoughts to get distracted, which restarts the 20 minutes, you know? I think you're being held in that liminal space. And I think by just chipping away at it, you don't have the luxury of even being focused. You have to know where you're going. You have to know where you are and you have to know where you're going next so that you can clip off those little things around the edges and sort of slowly work towards it that way. Yeah. And I know that was just really, you know, specific about writers and, you know, artists can have their own sort of, interpretation of that but it is more difficult for us in a sense where yeah we want to do that where it's just like any moment we get but it's like well first you got to turn on a computer fire up you know maya or whatever and you know maya 32 years to plug in you know your wacom or whatever the hell you're doing and then by the time you've got ready to go it's like oh my window of opportunity is gone now yeah it's like halfway gone I have definitely been struggling with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have one graphics PC. I have a couple, I have a laptop, I have a Mac mini and I have graphics PC. Yes. I can't do my CG work on any other computer other than my graphics PC because it just requires that level of oomph to run everything. Yeah. That becomes a problem, especially when a, I don't want to be in this space, but I want to get some work done. Um, or if I wanted to just quickly get something done, I have to wait for it to start up. It doesn't take that long these days because it's got fast start and everything, but it's still frictional. It's a barrier, so I leave it running, and that's never good for the computer and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a good way to kill your computer. <laughs> when I'm in a project, I tend to leave it on longer than is smart. Um, <laughs> but I trust my components. I'm a PC builder. You can trust me. Yeah, look, I bought my desktop, my my power PC from Aldi supermarket. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And look, this thing is basically... You're really giving us us some credentials as as people to talk with authority on CG here. Look, my computer, I got it in 2016. And, you know, for the most part, uh, but if if I'm not at work basically which is you know we're in lockdown at the moment so Mm. no not at work but (laughs) basically if i'm not at work like if i'm at home the computer is on as long as i'm awake it has the same waking hours as i do and And it's like 50 50 chance that it gets turned off in the evening uh, oh no it gets turned off every evening so (laughs) you know old sally gets that much love at least right um yeah so i don't know i'm kind of just sitting there being like don't die on me baby uh it's because yeah it's like a five-year-old desktop now so yeah it's, it's a 1070 it's all right like it's not it's not like oh my god but 
it's pretty good entry for like most games um and so you know i just have to fight off the urge to buy a new computer every time i uh you know see something like oh ryzen new ryzen processor or new rtx whatever whatever i'm like oh i could buy that well that was actually something that uh, mr price also brought up in that uh podcast that was being made he said that you know, if you're going to do CG, you're going to do CG even on the trash that you have. But that really is a blender perspective. Because even if I had another beefy laptop that I could take with me and just chip away at this stuff, I wouldn't have my mail license. It's not floating. Huh. I have to disconnect it, unassociate the ID of my uh, particular computer, and then I'd have to reinstall it on the laptop every time I wanted to move it. Right, I'm not paying. Blender. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna pay. <laughs> Suck shit. <laughs> I'm not gonna pay however much just to get back to that point where I can just use it again. I mean, yeah. the benefit of the current situation that I'm in is that I'm about to start up this animation course, and you get three months worth of mayor and a student license. So I could actually do that. I'm considering sticking a version of it onto my uh, laptop, but. I don't know. Like CG artists, I think do have that limitation. You are correct, which means that I think you do have to be a bit more deliberate about your butt on seat times. Mm. Yeah, I actually, I think in two thousand eighteen, I bought, uh, I bought a gaming laptop, and yeah. it's it's like a MetaBox. So it's this Australian company where they get these laptops built in Taiwan and. Like, it's just like this sort of, you know, random laptop. And then basically the company brings it over and then they put it with their own sort of little flavor in the OS. Yeah. And it'll say Metabox when it starts up. And then they'll put their little branding on it. And that's pretty much it. There's a whole bunch of companies all around the world that have these laptops. They're exactly the same laptops. Yeah. Uh, they might have slight configuration differences, um, but they're all got different branding on them. And they're all technically different laptops, but they're all actually mm. identical. And so, yeah. anyway, cheap as chips, eh? Uh, so, I bought one of those laptops, and you can tell it's cheap, but sh- she'll be right. Uh, and so, I, I got that as a secondary computer so that uh, when we're not in lockdown, I can go out, uh, you know, I can go to uh, my girlfriend's place, and, you know, she does a bit of painting and a bit of digital painting as well. So, yeah. I can go over there and sort of be in each other's presence and do that, or I'll do a bit of work at a cafe. The original tent was actually to get a hot desk. Um, yeah. yeah. And also a backup. background on the pod before. Yeah. But also in case my computer bricks itself. That's the other thing. I am terrified that one of my components will die because at the moment, postage is terrible. Like if you, if I ordered something today, I wouldn't get it for like two or three weeks. Jesus. And yeah, that's it's just the situation we're in at the moment. But I don't actually have another graphics-capable PC with me. I've got another one left that I um, took to my parents' house before I moved. So I've got one sitting there, but I can't get access to that. I'd have to get it freighted or something. But I know I'd, I'd either have to do that or I'd have to, like, you know, see what a Mac Mini's made of, you know? <laughs> 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 All right, Mac Mini, let's see what you're made of. <laughs> that thing gets hot, man. It's not one of the new M1 ones. It's like the old Intel chips. Right, I, so you, I swear so you I could, could cook chips on top of that. Yeah, I mean, your coffee would never go cold. 
Yeah, I, I've never actually thought of that. That's a good idea. No sweat. Yeah, yeah. Coffee warmer. <laughs> Man, that's the way to go. Um, but yeah, I, I do sleep a little bit easier knowing that, well, if my desktop shits itself, that's okay because I've got a laptop and I use Dropbox and everything is synchronized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. And I think I think if you don't have that ability to go out and become more mobile with the way that you're working, taking, like chipping away at the actual projects, I think in order to be in that mindset, you have to take it back out to that meta context and be like, okay, I can't move keys around in Maya. I can't physically do that. But what I can do is, you know, I can... Com- I can uh, plan my constraints and my selection sets because I know what controls the rig has. So I could just do that in a Word doc, right? Or yeah. you can chip around the edges. You can do some thumbnails. You can you can do whatever it is. You, I mean, as an animator, you're always looking at the way things move and the way people move. You know, you're trying to feed your visual library. And if you're doing that actively, you're mm. technically working on it because it will be easier when you go back to it. But I do acknowledge there is like a real difference between butt in seat work versus like becoming a better artist yeah actually something i did last night where i was slowing down a little bit but i had this thought where i'm like oh actually i just had a revelation of like how to do these wood textures and Mm. so i wrote i wrote it down um sort of blocking it out in stages of like basic shapes preliminary sort of detail and then uh you know more detail and polish or whatever it was and i wrote it down in steps where it's like i wasn't working on the texture but i just wrote something out i just wrote Mm. out uh, a sort of set of instructions of how i can make sure that when you're painting this the highlight is at this direction using this sort of tool here at this time to make sure this doesn't happen not even necessarily that it's just the sequence of things like you know start starting with like you know you draw like the shapes of the planks and then you do this and then you Mm. know you do that and then you start to put this in uh until you eventually get to polish right yeah and so that's that's something i realized last night that's a good way of uh staying in motion work yeah yes keep keeping your productivity in motion because that was going to be my that's going to be my next point is that even though you can't take your work with you if there is anything that is not being done inside the software that holds you in that location on that PC, if there's anything like that left that you're not doing in those moments that you could be doing, it hasn't become a problem yet because you could have been working on those things. Yeah. Yeah. So you could Uh, like, if, if you're doing your planning or you're doing formats, like you're doing it, I could draw thumbnails. I could like, break down the dialogue into syllables and write down ideas like anything that's not utilizing that computer power that you need if that still exists then it hasn't become a problem yet Mm. and you can you can find all sorts of ways to stay in motion while not being at the computer as well such Mm. as you know writing down okay yeah i'll you know do some thumbnails or Maybe my next animation will be uh, this, I don't know, walk cycle. And, you know, you could sort of stamp out some, uh, you know, rough ideas or poses for, mm. you know, this new animation or 
you know, say you were reflecting back on, and this is what I was doing. I was reflecting back on what I had been doing um, that day. And I kind of thought, yeah, I did this. And then I did that and I did that. And I realized, I identified that, oh, those are actually stages. And I'm going to forget that if I don't write it down. And so I wrote it down. And like, that is probably one of the most important things I did in that whole project because I can sure I can have that texture and I can have that file and I can look back at it. But I've also written an instruction manual. And since I wrote it, I know that I'm going to understand it because it's my own words. At least hopefully I'm that literate. But So am I to understand that you've come around on writing down your processes? Hey, hey. <laughs> I... I have no. always believed that you should write down a process. I just don't believe it doesn't exist if you don't do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will just let the listeners make their own decision as to whether or not that represents a concession on your part to the most contentious thing that's ever happened on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Absolute fire. <laughs> Go back and watch it. While you're there, like, comment, and subscribe, please. Yes, and please leave a comment on this podcast as well, because we're really happy to answer your questions and address anything else that you'd like us to talk about. Yeah, uh, we've also got um, we've also got an email, Chris and Jaden at gmail.com. So you can send it in there, or you can leave a comment. We do prefer comments, but whichever really. You can also reach us on social media. Were we wrapping this up now, Chris? Yeah, we might as well uh, hit the bricks on this one because I think I think we did start to circle around the same point there, but I think that just lets us know how important it really is. And I think that's <laughs> new information for us, which is probably why we spent a bit of time there. Yeah, I mean, we, we came into this podcast saying that we didn't really have a defined idea of what moving forward in a project looked like and like how we could sort of have a quippy sort of... Uh, wrap up sort of summary of what that looked like and i think i think that a became clear (laughs) and b i think regardless of if the terminology has become clear i think we really did sort of parcel out the difference between keeping in motion versus following a process yes yes we particularly towards the end there really did talk quite a bit about um stay in action which it's something I haven't put enough thought into. I kind of think about it here and there, but it's not something I've put enough conscious effort into. And I, I think, so I think it was quite valuable for us to really hit that at the end there. Yeah. Hopefully people listening got something out of that as well. Cause I can never tell with these more like ephemeral concept ones when it's more about stepping back and looking at the work of the work whether or not that's only valuable to the people talking about it in the positions they're in or whether that has some more tertiary benefits. So it would be nice to hear from you guys about that. We can hit some more actual uh, content topics or we can uh, sort of do more of this sort of stuff as we go and we'll just moderate that depending on what everybody prefers. Um, speaking of getting into action and staying into action, staying in action, the premiere of the uh, sort of YouTube content that I mentioned that I was going to be doing for Third Draw 3D last week, uh, that that's going to be a little bit longer in the making. I'll keep everybody informed. It is still coming. It's just that I realized that the microphone that I'm talking on right now, it sounds great after I've done some stuff to it, but as far as live streaming anything goes, it's a bit trash. So I've got another one coming in the post 
And as as aforementioned, that's going to take a little bit. And then after that, I'm going to start uploading both uh, pre-recorded content to the Third Draw 3D YouTube channel, as well as I'm going to try and do some streaming. I've been having all kinds of fun putting together the overlays and thumbnails and stuff. Uh, I'm pretty excited for how that's going to go. The channel is live if you wanted to go over there and just, uh, I don't know, subscribe to be notified when it goes actually live, uh, if you're interested. Uh, but that won't probably start for another week or week and a half until I get that new microphone. Exciting. So what is that YouTube channel called again? Third Draw 3D. Third Draw 3D. And where can they find you on Twitter? At Animator Chris anywhere on the internet. You. Uh, you can find me at Twitter or at J no J S T O underscore art. I don't know. I should remember this by now. Links in the bio. See you. <laughs> Bye. shots if i know that i got out out of that like now i know what not to do that's enough for me which is why i have a lot of trouble sitting down being like okay i'm gonna make a perfect shot because i always hit this point where it's like i have learned enough from this now drops toy hang on hang on weren't you just saying that the motivation for a project for you is to have a product slash deliverable, not necessarily in the sales sense. The motivation now I'm good to take it through to completion. I think that's a necessary differentiating factor because uh, yeah. if I'm just doing it for practice, that's why I had so much trouble with the showreel that I was like putting together from my practice because it's like when I practice, I practice something, I get better at it, then I want to apply it to something new. Yeah. Okay. But. Then the showreel says yes, but it also has to be, you know, pretty. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna At least think about this. Just, uh, just hold that thought. Okay, go. What? What was that? <laughs> My mic was freaking out again, so I had to hit it. Uh, okay, all right.